Please take your Bibles and and turn with me in the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 26. And today we will begin in verse 13. We we spoke today in Sunday school of the passage from Proverbs um, 6, uh, 6 through 11 that speaks of words. And I reminded them that Solomon comes around often to the subject of words and how we use our words because it is such an important part of how we interact with the world. And so today our focus will be once again on words that we use and the way that we use some of our words. And so let us keep that in mind as we read from Proverbs chapter 26, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The sluggard says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hands in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears as a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. Let us pray. Great God above, you have called us to pay close attention to what we learn from your word. You call us to pay attention so that we don't drift away from what we have heard from you, what we have learned of you, and what we have learned of our salvation. As we study this passage today from Proverbs 26, help us to grow in the knowledge and appreciation of our salvation. As we dive deeply into what it tells us about you and about us and about Jesus, help us to rest in the gentle, loving discipline that it brings to us. Remind us that as you chip away at the remainder of sinful flesh in us, that we are held firmly in your tender hands. I pray all of this in the name of the word that was better than prophets and poets. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch your mouth. You've heard it, I've heard it, and if we're honest, we probably needed to hear it many of the times that it was spoken to us. James says that a horse or a ship is easier to control than your tongue, and he also said that the tongue can do great damage if left unchecked. Today we are going to look once again at speech and see how it can be used either for wisdom or for folly. Solomon does spend a lot of time on speech in his book, And rightly so. As I mentioned earlier and also in Sunday school, how you and I use our words can make the difference between success and failure, 
between wisdom and folly and between holiness and sinfulness. And so today, as we study these words from Solomon, we will see, we will see the dangers of foolish, foolish excuses, careless words and disguised malice. First, the sluggard and his foolish excuses. Our passage today opens with four verses that reintroduce us to a person that we have met already, the sluggard. The sluggard is a person who is so lazy that he brings upon himself destitution and poverty, hunger and strife because he is so dedicated to sleep. We meet him first in chapter six, and we see in that particular passage that a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty comes upon the sluggard. His his dedication to sleep, his dedication to rest is highlighted for us once again in verse 14. It says, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on its bed. You know, doors move a lot, but go nowhere. You know why they go nowhere? It's because they're attached firmly to the doorpost that they hinge upon. The picture is the same thing with the sluggard here. He moves an awful lot because he turns and he rolls in bed, whether it's from, you know, sleeping on one side, that hip starts to hurt. And then you roll over to the other side until the other hip starts to hurt and you just keep rolling back and forth. But he goes nowhere. He is stuck in bed. He is dedicated to sleep and that sleep brings um, destruction upon him. In fact, he is so dedicated to sleep that sometimes he goes hungry because he reaches out with his hand to scoop up a serving of mashed potatoes from the middle of the table. And that is so strenuous to bring that spoonful of mashed potatoes back to his plate that he just lays down to take a little nap right in the middle. He is so dedicated to sleep that he's going to go hungry at a table full of food. But not only is he dedicated to sleep, the focus in this passage is on crazy, foolish excuses that he uses to avoid work. The sluggard says there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. There's a little bit of truth to this. There were lions roaming Palestine during that time, and sometimes they did attack people. You know, you shouldn't go swimming at the beach because shark attacks happen. Do you know that along the coast of Florida and up the eastern seaboard of America, sharks are constantly interacting with beachgoers on a regular basis. You can see aerial shots from Daytona Beach and New Smyrna Beach and other places like that with people bobbing and floating in the water and and sharks in the water below them as they are swimming. And in the latest statistics from the Florida Beach Museum, which I didn't realize was a thing that existed, but the Florida Beach Museum said in 2020 worldwide, there were 57 unprovoked shark attacks. Ten of those were fatal. You shouldn't go swimming at the beach. Think about it. That's kind of silly, isn't it? Seven plus billion people in the world and 10 people die from shark attacks. Don't go to the beach. Well, you know, you were less likely in Palestine during the time of Solomon to be attacked by a lion than you are today to be attacked by a shark. See the silliness of the fool's excuse there? It's got a kernel of truth to it, but 
you know, it's not really going to happen in a populated area during the middle of the day. He's not going to be attacked by a lion. He has a, an excuse that seems wise to him and said, it, in fact, it seems wiser than the sayings of the perfect number of wise men gathered together in one place. And yet he uses it as an excuse to avoid work. It's a silly excuse. It's wise in its own eyes. And yet it's an excuse that he uses. I would do us a disservice if I would do today what I've done in the past and limit our discussion of the sluggard to our work on a regular basis. Much of our life involves hard work. And we can make silly excuses to be lazy in all areas of our life, not just in our vocation. I think many of us in this room do a really good job in our calling, in our vocation of not being lazy. But what other areas of your life are you lazy in? The the pursuit of holiness, we are called to be holy as God is holy. And that takes hard work. Putting sin to death, putting putting bad habits to death and, and pursuing the glory and the holiness of God alone is hard and difficult work but we make excuses for it. You know, I'm not smart enough to study the word, so I'm, I'm really sure God will understand that I don't do my Bible reading today. I'd stay up late with an unruly child. So, you know, I'm sure God would understand if I skipped church this morning. Or how about our culture at large regarding marriage? Marriage is a commitment that takes hard work. And as a culture at large, we can be lazy when it comes to doing that hard work necessary for the commitment to work. We say things like, you know, he just doesn't fulfill me. And for me to truly pursue God's purpose in my life, I'm going to leave him. Or we say things like, you know, let's just make sure we're compatible for a while and live together without marriage until we figure out if it's going to work before we jump into it. I think oftentimes when we say these types of things, what we're really saying out loud is, I'm trying to sound wise in the fact that I'm too lazy to do the hard work of committing to another person in God's sight for the rest of history, for the rest of my life. We oftentimes take areas of our life, you and I both, that require hard work to do. And we come up with wise sounding excuses as reasons for us not doing those things. And we think that it justifies us before God and the rest of the world. But Solomon reminds us that God will not accept foolish excuses from us as as means to set aside the hard work necessary to become more like him. You and I are called to put aside our dedication to laziness in all the areas of our life and to pursue the hard work of holiness. While Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, it is still a yoke and we are called to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. So set aside foolish excuses. The next thing that Solomon talks about is the careless speech that brings about quarrels. We learn in verse 17 and in verses 20 through 22 about how careless speech can either make quarrels worse or 
involve us in quarrels that we shouldn't be involved in. Verse 17 says, like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. We need to realize here that dogs during this time were not those cute little fluffy things that we have in our home that once we get to know them, we just reach up and kind of scratch them on the ears and and just, oh, they're so fluffy and cute. Dogs during this time were the junkyard dogs. They were the pit bulls on a chain out in the back field that you just didn't want to get close to because if you got within the range of that chain, you're in trouble. Imagine grabbing that pit bull by the ears. You know, there's a double danger to grabbing an angry dog by the ears. The first danger is as you reach in, you're entering that dog's space. You're entering the space of that dog's main uh, weapons of attack, its teeth. And so you have got to enter that space in order to be able to grab the ears. And that's the first danger. You know what the second danger is? It's letting go once you get in there. Once you've got a hold of that dog's ears, you don't want to let it go because you've already gone through the teeth. You're going to have to go through them again. Well, meddling in a quarrel that you've not been invited into is very much the same way. You see two people having an argument, having a fight, and you've got the answer. You know how to solve it for them. It's kind of dangerous to just stick your foot, your nose into that situation But it's also dangerous to try to get yourself out of it because what's going to happen is two people that are typically fighting against each other and the third person interjects themselves, all of a sudden it's two against one because you had no business being there. Solomon says, don't be careless enough to meddle in somebody's quarrel. Now, yes, there are times where we might be invited in to mediate. There are times when maybe we do need to step in because it's getting physical and we don't want people to get hurt. We apply these wisdom rules, not hard and fast, but with wisdom as we enter into these things. But but Solomon says, if you're careless about how you enter another group's quarrel, you are likely going to make it worse and do damage to yourself. And then in verse 20, he says, one of the quickest way to end a fight is to eliminate gossip from it. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. One of the quickest ways to make sure a fire goes out is to remove the fuel from the fire. Those of you that heat your house with wood, you know this in the wintertime. Sometimes if it's cold enough, you've got to get up in the middle of the night and put another log or two in the wood stove. What happens if you don't? It goes out. You wake up with a cold house in the morning and you're definitely wanting to get a fire going at that point. An argument, a quarrel is the same way in relationship to gossip. You take gossip away from a quarrel and all of a sudden the quarrel stops. Why? Well, because if I'm in an argument with somebody... In a long-going argument that's, that's dragging out over time, oftentimes I have a tendency to see myself as the righteous person in the argument and the other person as the wicked one in the argument. And you have the same tendency to look at me as the wicked and yourself as the righteous. And I am going to listen to stories about the wicked person in the argument. 
And I'm going to believe them like like delicacies. I'm going to internalize them and I'm going to let it shape the way I think about the person that's in the argument. And you're going to do the same thing with gossip. You remove that from the equation and suddenly I can remember, goodness, you're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. And man, I love you. Why are we doing this? Don't let gossip, don't let the careless words of gossip shape your arguments in your quarrels. One of the things that we have to do, whether we are in the argument or invited into it as a mediator, is to absolutely refuse to hear gossip, even if it is presented by somebody who claims to have our best interest at heart. Don't let the foolish speech of gossip start or exacerbate, make worse a quarrel. So we've seen foolish excuses, we've seen careless words, and now we see the disguised speech of the fool. Solomon then focuses on the reality that the mocker will disguise his foolish speech with pleasant words. Verse 23 says that the fool seeks to to, to coat over cheap pottery with an expensive looking glaze. Do you know there's a difference between Linux, China, and Mainstay's dinnerware? For those of you that don't know, Mainstay's dinnerware is the stuff you buy at Walmart. And Linux China is the stuff that people used to register for, or one of the brands that people used to register for when they would get married. You would hope to get a set of China, expensive China that you only brought out for special occasions. Like me and Michelle, I could count them on maybe two hands. The special occasions that we brought out our China. There is a difference But the person who has malice and evil and foolishness in his heart will try to take the cheap mainstays dinnerware. It's sturdy, nothing bad about Walmart's dinnerware. I'm not, you know, looking for a libel or slander suit here or anything like that. But you take the cheap dinnerware and you cover it with the glaze from the expensive china. In other words, you take words that are rooted in a rotten heart a rotten sinner, and you cover them over with sweetness and and compliments in order to make them seem (coughs) beneficial. He gives us two examples of this. And in verse 18 and 19, we we include the smart aleck's favorite tool for deflection. I was just kidding. And since that one hits too close to home, we're just going to skip it. So anyway, no, just kidding. (laughs) In verses, in those verses, it says like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. We all know the person. They're sarcastic. They're hurtful. They're mean. They're insulting. And as soon as you confront them about it, I was just kidding. I treat people I love that way. It's just a sign that I love you. Solomon says, no, he is going about destruction and covering it with the pretty words of, you know what? I was just kidding. I was only joking. And then he goes on and he points to the one who flatters in verse 28. He says, a lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. There's a difference between flattery and compliments Compliment is usually something nice said to somebody with no strings attached. Just for the sake of wanting to be loving, just for the sake of wanting to be affirming, just for the sake of wanting to have good, wise words. 
that lift people up and give them life. You might compliment what they're wearing or how they act in life or how they work or what or something they've done recently. Flattery is the same thing, but with strings attached. It's a desire to manipulate the other person by making them feel good about themselves. It is a it is a tool used to get people to move from one place to another by by taking positive traits about them and using them to put hooks into. Oh, you you know, you're you're a pretty smart person, so you you would understand what I'm talking about, right? My, you you look nice today. Um uh do you mind if we talk over here or do this or do that? It, it's using these things, but with malice involved, with malice tied to it. And, and so Solomon highlights for us the reality that, that foolishness, this foolishness, whether it's the foolishness of the, the sluggard, whether it's the careless speech of the person who gossips or intrudes in a quarrel that's not its own, or if it's the disguising speech of the manipulator. Solomon goes on and points out that these things have a tendency to bring their judgment upon the person who uses them. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. If you sow foolishness, you reap foolishness. If you sow malice, even with a shiny coating on it, you will reap malice. Solomon says, be sure that destruction is assured for those who practice foolish speech. So we've seen that the foolish excuses of the sluggard lead to destruction. We've seen that the careless words of the gossip and the intruder lead to destruction. And we've seen that the shiny, sugar-coated words of the fool, the mocker, lead to destruction. And verses 24 and 25 point to the reality of why this happens. Verses 24 and 25 tell us this, A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but his heart, in his heart, he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. Seven is a word for completeness when we see it, especially in the poetic uh, portions of the Old Testament and, and in the apocalyptic portion of the New Testament. It is a number that shows completeness. And so what Solomon is saying there is, is the one who uses all this foolish type of speech is showing the fact that his heart is completely malicious and rotten. Jesus touches upon this for us in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Just as an aside here, do you see the correlation between the James passage we read earlier and, and this particular passage? He talks about a tree producing fruit according to the root of the tree as well. Jesus goes on, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow his heart, of his heart, his mouth speaks. In order to have speech that is wise, in order to have speech that sets aside carelessness and foolishness and maliciousness, we need a heart that is changed by the work and by the love of Jesus. Jesus' speech is full of truth and love. 
He tells us that we must work and he gives us the heart to desire the hard work of pursuing wisdom and holiness in our words and in our actions. Every word that he has spoken is carefully chosen and given for the power and effect that it will have upon his people. And he will not needlessly or manipulatively flatter. When he calls us holy, we are holy. When he calls us righteous, we are righteous. When he calls us redeemed, we are redeemed. And as he calls us righteous, he also calls us to greater righteousness. And part of that is allowing our speech to be true and life-giving, not foolish and death-dealing. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this reminder that oftentimes we are foolish in the words we speak, that oftentimes we are careless in the words we speak, and that oftentimes we are malicious in the words we speak. As you chip away at those areas of our lives, remind us that your burden is easy and your yoke is light, that we are held safely and lovingly in your hands, and that you are seeking to renew us day by day in the image of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As you go this week, take this blessing from God upon you, this blessing that reminds us of the power that is ours, the power to work on our speech in our life. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And as we await his return, we cry out anxiously, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.